Thanks, Jax. Mucho apreciado. I don't think that's how you say it. I think it's muchas gracias, but mm-hmm. maybe apreciado is a word. Maybe <laughs> that means I appreciate this whole room full of people. Do you? Uh, should have paid more attention. Do what? I said, do you appreciate this whole room full I, of people? I, I do appreciate this whole room full of people. It's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Did you go over the notes at all? or? Yeah, you... I took a picture of oh, them. Okay. Uh, Wasn't sure if you were walking until... The day that you told me to. And I read them. I didn't make any notes of my own, though, because I feel like shit. Feels <laughs> like shit. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. <laughs> Presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the dangerously violently ill, Kristen Pennington. <laughs> She's here with you once again. Glorying up your fucking Tuesday, despite <laughs> no the advisement there. of her own doctor. <laughs> she loves you guys, and I love you guys, and I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, no beers for me today, though. I'm sticking to the juice. Strawberry banana blend. Mm-hmm. Not this dude. Bam, Montana ale. <laughs> I'm still on it. Um, I am now officially on an inhaler, too, so that's fun. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I had one of those when I was growing up. And, you know, it was a good way to, you know, pick, up, pick up chicks and meet cool friends that wanted to beat your ass on the bus. <laughs> you're doing it when you're 30, so, like, you don't have all the negative memories of me with my inhaler, like... <laughs> you know, and the bullies the stealing it from you. Yeah, breaking it. Yeah. Basically creating Brett Bloom! <laughs> no, I don't think it's permanent. I think it's just until I get rid of this. Yeah. But um, I was going to do a high energy, another militant positivity, but Kristen has been feeling like total dog shit for over a week now and is feeling the brunt of it. I had to leave work early, so uh, mm-hmm. this is going to be kind of British's solo-ish's episode. <laughs> is, is, is. I will do my best to contribute. <laughs> well, I was worried that you were going to feel like so much shit that I, I had to record this. We had to get it recorded tonight so that we could you know have a, a day or so before the next recording. And I was like, if I have to go into the living room and talk into a mic by myself, I'm going to lose my shit because I'm not ready to do that. <laughs> I mean, that's probably basically what you're going to be doing. You can just look at me while you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. But what I wanted to talk about today is uh, it's a weird place to find inspiration, but I've been reading The Run of His Life, The People versus O.J. Simpson, which they turned into a Netflix series. Did we watch that together? Uh, no, I've watched part of it, like, uh, separately. Yeah, because I was watching it in England, and you were kind of watching it while I was in England. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't you, seen all so of it, keep though. Up. It's uh, beautiful. Cuba Gooden Jr. plays O.J. Simpson. Um, some dude, I think, from Friends plays Shapiro or Kardashian. I can't remember. Um, yeah, the he exact, plays Kardashian, yeah. I think. It's like a star-studded cast. It's, it's an incredible little Friends. miniseries. Do what? It's Ross from Friends, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Kardashian. Um, and the book has been brilliant, but it's made me think, just kind of out of nowhere while I was sitting around with my thumb in my ass the other day. Um, it's a weird place to put your thumb. I mean, it's the best place to keep it warm through a Montana winter. <laughs> <laughs> Comes at the extent of the stink, but you just wipe it in the snow and call <laughs> it good. Um, it had me thinking about, like, real-life characters, you know, because the story of O.J. Simpson, I'm not going to rehash the story. If you're not familiar, go read the Wikipedia article or ask your parents, because you're probably too young to be listening to the show. Um, 
the story of O.J. Simpson is filled with so many fascinating real-life characters, and it got so covered by the media that you learned like these intricate details about yeah. these celebrities' lives and these side characters' lives, and like Furman and the whole screenplay situation where he got accused of racism and might probably definitely uh, was <laughs> a racist. <laughs> but you meet these very interesting characters. So it had me thinking about um, like as a writer, like it's not enough just to read books and you need to be reading a shitload of books. So I'm not going to take that away. You know, that's solid fucking advice. Go through at least two a month. Trust me, it'll improve your writing. Uh, try to go through one a week. I'm averaging about <laughs> one every two weeks. I do pretty good. Um, but th those stories come out of the author's <clears throat> dealing with society, dealing with people. You meet some random dude in the gas station, he creates a scene in your head, and you kind of expound upon where you would go from there. And it got me thinking, you know, that we are all story. Like, every single one of us, we are that random person that you run into in the gas station. You're like, oh, God, damn, she just ripped out her inhaler, and I wanted to beat her ass because it made me think like that when I was in, you know, the third grade. <laughs> Um, but day by day, week by week, and year by year, we're surrounded by character developments, plot twists, and the deaths of a thousand darlings. Um, so the goal of the writer should be to not just write, but watch, you know, and report back what you've seen yeah. uh, throughout the world. And I wanted to, like, kind of play with that in a high-energy, militant positivity <laughs> kind of concept idea. Um but like what moment with a stranger or a random line of conversation or personal passing thought would make for a great opening line? Like, is there a moment that sticks out to you in particular? Uh, the petite purple haired lady at the diner with her very large boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> would make was, a beautiful opening shot. Reference to everything was bitchin'. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite one was this guy I met on, uh, I was not on LSD. I, he was either, I could never figure out, I think he was schizophrenic, but he might have just been on LSD because uh, he was walking through the parking lot outside the pawn shop while I was smoking a cigarette and he had on like a shower cap and like a surgeon's uniform or some crazy like combination of clothing. That's weird. Oh, it was a surgical mask and a uh, like a shower cap and a gown of some kind. I can't remember what it was. It was like a skinny little black kid, and he was either on LSD or violently schizophrenic. <laughs> but he was the most pleasant dude to be around. I had the uh, opportunity to meet him five or six times, and he was always interesting, if nothing else. But he walked up to me while I'm smoking a cigarette, and he's like, hey, man. I was like, hey. And then he blinked and then opened his eyes and then just kept staring at me, and he goes, hey, man, you have a open your eyes, and close your eyes, and open your eyes again, and you're a different person. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll never forget that moment with that dude, you know, like how beautiful of an opening line that would be to like follow that character or to introduce a character uh, that is that person's total opposite as your MC, you know, for the piece. Mm -hmm. And then he blinked and he was somebody else. Then he else. blinked and he was somebody else. <laughs> you see, there, a story is born just out of like your day-to-day -day running in with people. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, like opening dialogues or thinking about characters and stuff like that. 
But the important part of a story is where the character's narrative shifts, where their perspective changes. And that happens in everybody's life, you know, that that isn't just happening in the lives of writers who are looking for those sorts of things. It happens to everybody, you know, just based on circumstance, day to day, year to year. You know, if you bump your head at lunch, your whole day is fucked up from that point forward. There was your shift in perspective. You were singing Bob Marley when you woke up this morning, you slipped and twisted your ankle and now you're spending all day at the fucking hospital. (laughs) Switching your narrative. You've done that a few times, haven't you? Mm. <laughs> Recently, I've got a scar on my head. Um, <laughs> but um, what kind of things in your life? This is my interview show, apparently. <laughs> what kind of things in your life have changed your perspective, like oh. as of late? That's a good question. I don't know. Like, I feel like working on which that's a character I know but I feel like working on this um short film that we're doing right now has kind of made me think more about people's reactions to real life like Mm -hmm. traumatic situations and like when I've been like editing it and stuff together instead of just like this is scene a and scene b and yeah how did we get from a to b or whatever like it's been more like if I was in this situation or if someone I knew was in this situation like where would their head kind of be at Mm -hmm. So, um, you did a beautiful job, by the way. I got to see more or less, would you call it like 90% rough cut yeah, at this point? Yeah, there's only a little bit still missing yeah. from it. I got so. to see the ending. Nobody else has seen the ending. <laughs> I'm the only one, and it is better than I could have fucking imagined. It was incredible. <laughs> it needs some work, but, um, well, cause I've... there you go, downplaying yourself again. <laughs> I'm gonna get you to switch your perspective. <laughs> like, I, I've not horribly like ruined my life forever traumatic but i've been through you know some traumatic things and i've known plenty of people who have been through traumatic things and like kind of an awareness of like how people in real like time in the real world react and how you've personally reacted to stuff that's happened Mm -hmm. to you like kind of helps i feel like whenever you're doing your work because like what was your honest reaction versus what was your face that you showed society helps mm-hmm. you like when you see it in yourself when shit like that happens you can see the face you know but you can see well that's just a person trying to be strong but i know how they are when they go home tonight because i've worn the face yeah, yeah. or the things of it for whatever reason i've been having crazy dreams since we moved here like even like the yeah. things they're dreaming about at night or whatever like where is their like mind at so mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of been <laughs> I guess that's kind of been while I've been working on this where my like thoughts have kind of gone back to because mm-hmm. I know um like we've talked about both of us like going through um I guess like kind of mental breaks or whatever in our lives and um like, I know whenever I was, like, kind of, like, at a low point in my life, like, my my thoughts were, like, always, like, really scattered. And, mm-hmm. like, every tiny thing would, like, cause me to have a panic attack and stuff yeah. like that. So it was, like, you know, these moments in life that seemed at the time, like, the end of the world have mm-hmm. now kind of become these points of, like, okay, like, what can I learn from this? And, like... That's how every good story mm-hmm. begins. Like, your first act is supposed to build to the permanent change that sends your hero off on their journey, you know? Like, I, I'm i trying to reconnect with my father. Oh, no, he's dead. Now I have to learn how to reconnect with him, like, now that he's dead. 
I know, a little autobiographical, but there's an arc there, you know, you can see through trauma. I dropped out of college and it took me 10 years to go back. Yeah. And then there's this weird guy sitting in the chair that I want. <laughs> <laughs> but without those little moments, as we were talking about the other day, like you don't end up with the story. Um, as we've talked about on here, I got arrested in the service right around the time Barack Obama decided he wanted to cut like 25,000 people out of my career field. Um, and I still had bad work in my personnel file um, at the time that they came to make those cuts and they were very recent so I got kit honorably <laughs> discharged got my four in so like I didn't get cut at like a year and a half into the situation yeah, it's like at the tell end of yeah. your commitment wasn't it well I've, I've, I'd signed for six but I just reached the four so oh. I yeah um so there I am in Japan uh 23 I want to say and I get in this, depending on whose story you believe, I was blackout drunk and experiencing like my third panic attack. So I have very, very little understanding of what exactly transpired. My understanding is that there was a pretty good fight. Then I got placed into a bathroom to cool down. Note to self, uh, you're bipolar, Mr. Bloom. <laughs> um, condensed space, lack of control of movement. I don't remember upset. what happened, but I apparently ripped the tile little shelving unit off, smashed it through the mirror, busted up the toilet, and then they opened the door. I hit somebody else and ran out of the room. <laughs> I don't remember it, but that's what all the reports said. There was a lot of reports because when you want to throw a violent fit, throw it in a very crowded room. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, I woke up, and uh, one of the sergeants was at my door. He handcuffed me. He walked me out of the building. I knew I was fucked. I didn't know what was going on, but my hand hurt, and I had this weird chalky shit all over my boot, so I knew I'd done something bad. And I felt at the time that my entire life was falling apart. Felt so much that I attempted suicide while I was on the airbase, and then woke up again, you know, going, Mr. Bloom, you can't do that. This is a bad, bad move. Aww. Brett Bloom's bad, bad day. That's what this turns into. <laughs> And I was convinced that my life was falling apart. Like it was all over and fuck it, you know, why not? So I did that. And those two movements, you know, this all happened in a three to five day time frame. Um, led to me being in therapy seven days a week. I had a shitload of therapists. I had a different shrink that I had to see for different reasons every day. And so I would have to get up and then like eight o'clock in the morning, head to the mental health building and then like wave at all my other therapists and all my other people that were in my anger management group <laughs> and all the other people in my little AA group that I was in. And then I had to go into whatever, you know, bullshit they had me do that day. And yeah, basically, <laughs> well, when we watched anger management the other night, I was like, this is like legit what they told me. It's like, get rid of your angry music. Listen to more Matchbox 20. <laughs> <laughs> quit rushing around, make breakfast in the morning, you know, shit like that. But I, I was going fucking ape shit in my head because I knew at the end of this, I was getting kicked out. And my dad did 23 years. My grandpa did 22 years. I had been telling myself that I was going the full fucking distance with it. It was what I was born to do, you know. Um, and then one day I get the, the notice that me and my best friend uh, were getting kicked out on the same day because he got stabbed in Puerto Rico. Getting stabbed is the equivalent of what I did when you're in the Air Force. So he gets stabbed in the hand. I 
aggressively beat the fuck out of somebody, same punishment. Uh, welcome to the taxpayer-funded dollars and shit like that. Uh, but we get these notices, and I came fucking unglued. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is the only thing I know how to do. I dropped out of college to do this. <laughs> like, how am I going to face my dad? Like, this, that, the other thing. And I get, you know, we go through the whole thing. I get shipped back home. And I'm working in an Amazon warehouse, um, which is like 12-hour shifts, no music, nobody to talk to, and you're constantly moving. Horrific, horrific fucking working conditions, but it's a warehouse gig, and I needed the money because I don't, you know, have a college degree. Um, and I'm not going, but, you know, right back into a security position. <coughs> Are you I'm allowed to... If you get honorably discharged, like reapply to a different branch or to, okay. Could you have reapplied to the Air Force? There was a waiting period and now I have a psych record with the United States military that is a mile long because I was in, you know, for like three months, seven days a week of talking to therapists. I just didn't know at the time if that had been like a thing you had as an option. It, It wasn't an option. Like there was like a time period I had to wait and I was not waiting that time period. I was either going to be a civilian or go fucking batshit. Um, but anyway, I'm working in the Amazon and I'm going crazy again because I don't have any friends, you know, really in Tennessee because while they were, you know, being 19 and 20 and 21 and 22 and 23, I was being shipped off into the service and then being molded into this violent thing and then released, you know, at the Uncle Sam's Catch and Release program. <laughs> and, uh, I'm talking to myself a lot while I'm walking through the Amazon. And as I'm walking through the Amazon, I slowly built what would become the first rough draft that I wrote that I'm currently now, uh, five fucking years later, uh, sitting back down to retype back in. So if I had not have gotten kicked out, big quotation marks, honorable discharge, okay? (laughs) Honorable discharge. Not a other than honorable discharge or a dishonorable discharge. Your boy did everything right except for one day. (laughs) One really bad week. Lost my shit. (laughs) But I get get sent home, um, which leads to the job that I didn't want to work, which leads to finding, you know, that I can actually sit down and write a book. And that Sitting down and writing the book, repeating it to myself all day at work so I could rush home to the laptop, clickety-clack, get all that shit done, led me to the dream, which sent me to college to do nothing but write, which made me run into you, and then we moved to Montana, and we are here now. But without that initial fuck-up, what I thought was the end of the goddamn world, I don't go back to school, I don't start writing books, I don't publish a book, I don't go into this uh, nightmare box. I don't start the podcast with you. The move doesn't fucking happen. We don't start the production company. Like all of these massively positive things came out of this journey of trying to find the self amidst what I thought was the worst thing in the world. You don't think you would have tried to move up here? like? No, because I'd been up here before. I, oh, yeah, I, yeah right. I came up when like... I was like 17. I went to East Montana. We are currently in West Montana. East Montana is flat as fuck. 
<laughs> flat as fuck. Yeah, there's nothing but semi trucks, and you know, outside of Billings, any further east, you're just looking at semi trucks driving through snow, and you can see for fucking miles <laughs> that it is just a gridlock of semi trucks driving through snow, <laughs> and it was miserable, and it was cold, and it sucked. <laughs> I only came up to the mountains to go to my buddy's wedding in Washington. That's where I fell in love with him and then came up here and fell in love with this place. Um, so it was like a gradual progression. But I would not have enjoyed once again, and I don't want to bogart, you know, the person who's had, you know, life-changing experiences on the, uh, on the episode here. <laughs> but the only reason I found the beauty in the mountains was because I'd been at home, my dad had died, and I had a nervous fucking breakdown. <laughs> so, again, big catastrophic moment. I get this wedding invite. I'm like, fuck it. I can go out there. I go out to Washington to go to my buddy's wedding. We're hanging out the night before the wedding. I go to the store because in Washington you can just buy weed in the store. So I went and bought two of the biggest joints I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I took one of those cones up, like, I don't know, 30, 40 yards up this little mountain. I didn't, like, hike the motherfucker. But I got far enough away to where I wasn't, you know, listening to everybody talk. I uh, got higher than I've ever been in my entire life, stared at the moon, and it changed my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so without these awful things happening, again, we don't wind up here. Yeah. And it happens in day-to-day -day life. People are story. Yeah, I, um... Gosh, I went to college straight out of high school as well, and uh, I think I did two-ish years. Yeah. I got basically my gen eds out of the way. And then, yeah, a bunch of miserable stuff in general in life happened. I was just, I had been go, go, go for way too long, and just personal stuff going wrong, so I, like, hit, like, a yeah. wall myself and, like, ended up having to take time off and like I kept telling myself like if I don't figure my life out by this age like mm -hmm. I will go back you know or whatever and like the age kept shifting back gradually <laughs> over the years because it was like I'd um like oh fuck I'm 22 <laughs> guess I'll have to do it when I'm 23 <laughs> <laughs> oh we've talked about before like I, I used to model and act and stuff yeah. and like I, I didn't super enjoy the modeling but I think for like a minute there, I really like hoped it would amount to something, mm -hmm. and then uh, I started doing acting stuff, and I was like, "Well, I like that better." I did theater in high school and stuff, but it still just made me feel like uncomfortable. But I think I kept just hoping it would pan out. Mm -hmm. So it was like, "Oh, like if I'm not successful by like yeah, like 22, okay, we'll try till 25 or whatever." Yeah. And I kept pushing that and going back to college, and um, like that ended up actually giving me the freedom to take a bunch of time off and do the whole thing in the Atlanta where mm -hmm. I worked on that movie. And um, when I came back, because whenever I went to college the first time, my degree was just like in journalism. I think it was like yeah. initially public relations, and then I switched it to journalism because I was like, I don't really know what I want to do with my life. Want to be part of the fake news. <clears throat> <laughs> but um like after i went and did the thing in atlanta i came back and i was like no i want to like go back to school for yeah. like film and um still put it off for whatever reason for like another year or two i think before i finally went back and 
shit in my life kind of fell apart again. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do something for myself for once. Like already had student debt from where I'd gone uh, to college initially. And I was like, that's stupid that I have debt and I don't even have like the degree or anything. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm going to go back and finish this. And uh, like it seemed at the time like a desperate attempt to try to make something of like what it up until that moment felt like kind of a pointless life. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like again, we met and started a production company and like you're one of the only people in my life that like treats me like you like really legitimately believe in me. It's not just like, oh, good for you. You know, legitimately believe in you. Well, you know, like a lot of like, friends and family will be like oh that's cool good for you yeah. what are you up to but they don't really care it's just like oh well good for you and i mean i've got a lot of friends who <laughs> like they're like yeah man buy your book and it's like yeah what do you think it's like oh i never got around to read it and i was like it is 57 pages <laughs> i Could bought read it. it on a long lunch break <laughs> i bought it from you i think we'd only known each other like a month i bought it from you the first time you brought it up and then i think by the end of the week it finished it mm-hmm and then cried like a baby. <laughs> well, no, I was just commenting on a lot of, you know, friends and family and stuff like that. They're like, I support you. Like, <laughs> Do eh, you, though? Eh. Do you? You want me to keep doing it, but you don't want to read it. So I know my mom. My mom does not enjoy what I talk about. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't think my mom watches any of my stuff, which Mom is always fine. goes, you're a good writer. <laughs> didn't didn't like that you know You're 75 skilled at didn't, it didn't like that 75,000 word like thing that you did about a vigilante who <laughs> goes after pedophiles wasn't a big fan of how violent that was but the word structure no I'm joking sorry <laughs> no you're fine um yeah I don't think my parents watch any of my stuff either but I hope they don't start on this one <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with it, I think, because then I don't have to try to explain myself over family dinners. Like, so Kristen, what are you making? You don't want to fucking know. (laughs) It's like that—that is the nice thing, I guess, about when your family doesn't watch it. It's like when you have to get together for the holidays, we're not discussing it. (laughs) (laughs) Kristen's a filmmaker. We'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, come on, there are people who do this stuff for a living and make good money, and nobody ever goes. My son Bill's a fucking accountant. Well, no, like Wes Craven or whatever, like his family probably, like when he was successful, wasn't like, Wes, what the fuck are you doing, yeah. man? Like, come on. Yeah, probably wasn't the game. Eminem's mom was, and that's how we got Eminem. <laughs> <laughs> but continue. I'm, I keep hijacking. Oh, no, you're fine. I mean, that was basically the only place I was going with that. Like, I like I don't really want to delve into my personal stuff. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. There was like a several year period where it constantly kind of felt like the worst year of my life and like my life was falling apart and like nothing was ever going to be okay again and then you could have tapped out at any of those points yeah that's scary shit yeah and then like looking back on that now i'm just like man like if you had known yeah how silly this was all going to seem in just a few years We've talked about it in person, or in person. person. (laughs) Kristen is a hologram. Um, (laughs) We've talked about it, like, off air and stuff like that. How many times I wish I could just, like, go back in time and hug, like, 15-year-old me and just be like, dude, shit is about to get real for a long time. Like, hold the fuck on. (laughs) Be the the change you want to see in the world, I guess, is the thing that they say. 
like, I don't want to be that person that's, like, you know, going through a rough patch makes yeah. you stronger or whatever. But, I mean, it, it is. <laughs> yeah, but it is true. Like, I feel like because of the sad moments or the mm-hmm. moments that made me feel bad or, like, even the moments that made me mad, like, I feel like coming back to this whole, like, involving it in your art, I feel like I, as a person, am more like understanding and empathetic mm-hmm. and uh, I, I hope anyway <laughs> kind um, compared to what I was as like you know yeah. a teenager like I wasn't like a bully in school or anything like that I was never like one of the popular kids or like I had my snotty bully kids moments. I was very violent for <laughs> a while so I, I was yeah. just like the neutral kid in school where it was like oh like I'm friends with a little bit of everybody but I'm not in anybody's mm-hmm. clique but I, I think I probably went through phases whenever I was younger where I was more self-involved and mm-hmm. like cared more about what I wanted and what I needed. Of course, than, yeah. As you, you know, do. Yeah, other people. And like I I feel like going through those like rough patches in life does kind of give you an appreciation, mm-hmm. one, for the good times, but also an appreciation for when someone else is going through yeah. a bad time because it's like I know how bad that feels. So like... So- one of the things that Polinick, I think that's where I'm getting this from, uh, said in his new book. Um, what's it called? It's right there. It's upside down. Uh, Chuck Polinick's <laughs> new book, Consider This, um, where he talks about, like, as writers, sure, those tumultuous times, they drum up um, brilliant work. You know, because mm-hmm. when you're sad, you're going to be profoundly sad in your writing. When you're angry, you're going to be profoundly angry in your writing. But you shouldn't seek out fucking up. You shouldn't, like, run out there and be like, oh, Hemingway had a drinking problem, so I'm going to the liquor store. <laughs> no, Hemingway was a brilliant Shut writer who happened to you know, be a drunk. <laughs> but, yeah, no, you shouldn't purposely fuck your life up to get those attributes. You just need to, like, learn how to watch the lessons that life hands you because, you know, it, we were all selfish when we were younger. Um, majority of men were a lot more violent when they were younger. I just was supremely violent when I was younger. <laughs> you know, uh, I like to fight people because my dad was a fighting person. I was raised by a special ops guy. He, he, he liked to take a swing at a random dude in a pool hall the entire time I was growing up. There ain't a whole lot I could do about that. <laughs> do you think that's why you like horror specifically? No. Because my dad was not a horror fan. My mom was is not a horror fan. She likes psychological thrillers, which is why I think my horror leans more in that direction. And she was a fan of serial murder because she likes solving the crime before the mm-hmm. book ended. Um but neither one of them would like sit down and watch Pet Cemetery. Mom likes Saul, and then we made that a tradition until like Saul ate. When it was, she was like, "I think this is jump ship." Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, that's the thing that I think is funny about um, my mom. Like my parents in general have always been like really big movie buffs. Yeah. So like my mom, assuming she she still has all those DVDs anyway. Your dad like this... is the biggest fan of the Eagles. <laughs> yeah my mom has like this obscene dvd collection i think they've stopped buying them um so much over the years but like whenever i was like a teenager yeah. like it was like every time a movie came out my mom was like i gotta have that movie <laughs> so like she watched like saw and halloween yeah. and 
Nightmare on Elm and like all of those, and she like liked those mo- those type of movies. But I mean, she owned like rom coms and mm-hmm. fantasies and like all kinds of movies too. So it wasn't just those. But she watched all that kind of stuff. And like I watched Ghost Ship because I think she bought Ghost Ship. Like yeah. like all these like movies that are violent and stuff. And like whenever it's like oh yeah like. I hinted at somebody dying and what am I? And she's like, I just don't think I'm going to watch that. I don't think I can handle it. In the opening, the ghost ship, like razor wire cutting the entire cruise in half. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, and I think the little girl is like standing in that group too. She's the only one that lives because she's like like an inch shorter than the wire. Yeah. (laughs) And Resident Evil, there's that scene where he gets like chopped up in a bit by by the the laser. laser. Yeah. My mom bought like all those movies. I'm like, oh, there's a little bit of blood in this one. She's like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to watch that. No. <laughs> no, my mom has got a stronger stomach for that kind of stuff just because she likes the serial killer shit, but she's also not like a diehard movie buff. Like she'll watch like the big ones. Like mm-hmm. she loves like, like the Shawshank Redemption and stuff like that. But, um, she won't just pop one in unless it's like Ben or I or like, Hey, you've got to see this shit. But she also you know, doesn't watch music videos, but I get two songs every time Eminem or Marilyn Manson drop an album. I'm allowed to pick two songs to send to mom and she still listens to them. <laughs> Only two though. Only two. <laughs> so, I can't yeah. send her like, kill me. Like that's not going to happen. But I did send her the video for darkness and she loved it. Cause she that got the message. Video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have to like pick the artistic ones. I can't just like <laughs> send her, you know, bagpipes from Baghdad. <laughs> she's down oh, to like laugh about that. Oh. shit. <laughs> But what I was thinking about also was like, what is it that we can do like today or this week or this year or in the next five years? Because Kristen and I have massive five-year plan. What can be done today in your life that fundamentally know. changes your arc? My, my personal arc? Well, not a, this is a, a, a question I'm posing to the audience that you and I can riff on. But what control do you have over, your, you know, given like everything that we've talked about where the story is happening regardless. And I'm not getting all religious and shit like that, but it's obvious that you're not always in control of your own narrative. If you can look back and see, oh, that was a climactic moment to this arc. And then the next arc started because mm-hmm. I felt secure. Here I am. I've graduated college. I'm moving to Montana. I am broke as fuck. (laughs) I think for me, um, like especially when I was younger, I'm not terrible, but I am a little OCD. And I do have some, like, desire to have control over the things in my life. Yeah. Whenever I was, like, in school, I'd organize the books in my locker or whatever. Like, the small stuff that wasn't, like... I didn't realize they gave us lockers until, like, senior year. (laughs) 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 Like, the small stuff that wasn't, like, super consequential to my life. But it was, like, I do have control over this, you know. And, um... uh, I don't know. Like, I I like... I'm an independent person, like, being in charge of my decisions. And, you know, the things that happen in my life. And I, I think as a kid, like, that was definitely much more aggressively obvious like i haven't in any way attempted to reorganize the bookshelf that you put together <laughs> or the movies like the pictures that i've noticed that are like slightly crooked i'm like ah oh, whatever you know yeah, that's Brett fine. takes 45 degree angles <laughs> he's just living his life <laughs> <laughs> and I, I feel like having gone through kind of like rougher experiences and like realizing that that wasn't actually 
the end of the story yeah. or the end of my life or whatever, you know, like as an adult, I have, I, I still feel like a need, like whenever shit's bad to be like, Oh, how can I make this better? How can I fix this situation or whatever? But for the most part, as an adult, I have found an appreciation for just accepting the moment yeah. and being like, this isn't the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me. Like it's not all going to end today. Like it's fine. So like just an acceptance of not having yeah. control and, like, you, and you made a step towards your overall arc today. Because you felt like dog shit, you left around noon. And I said, Kristen, go home and rest. And instead of taking a nap... Kristen worked. Kristen worked. She sat behind the computer, drinking her juice, <laughs> and editing the film. Yep. <laughs> I did. I went to the doctor first. Yeah. But went, then yeah. I came home and but Like, where you could have not done that you know and there's people out there right now that are wanting to make film or they're wanting to write something or they're wanting to start a diet we've had a whole episode i think on like a want to is a bullshit fucking excuse and i, I don't I listen am. to it. yeah you, it's the i am universe fucking i am on a diet i am writing a book i am making a film i am you know actively looking for a new job whatever it is you're not thinking about it you're doing it but that was your active step. You could have laid down. You I used definitely it as thought about it. <laughs> well, I wish you would have. I'm not, I, I did not crack the whip and send you to work. Um, but for anybody out there who's like, you know, I want to start doing this. Just get on the I am train. Fucking do it. Like, it's your life. It's your story. You don't know what the fucking choice is going to do in the long run anyway. So start. Sit down, write 2,000 words, write 500 words, write five fucking words. I don't give a shit, but pull the fucking laptop out. Turn the podcast off. I don't give a fuck. You're listening to us pursue a dream. <laughs> you don't your fucking mind. You're, you're ridiculous. And if you're mad at that, that's a problem for you, not a problem for me. Because I'm still talking into this microphone after a fucking 10-hour shift. <laughs> Kristen's dying of coronavirus. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, every day you can make those little things. And they don't need to be outside things. They can be shifts in your inner narration. You know, like you with the OCD thing, the need to control. Me with my anger, you know, having to dial that back. There are steps that can be made every single day, but they have to be like cognizant steps. Just like if I'm writing a story, my character does not move about his life or her life without direct, you know, motivation. Why is Kelly going to the store today? Kelly ran out of Tampax. How is that embarrassing when Kelly gets to the store? Boom. <laughs> Thus, Carrie was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly does not just show up at the fucking thing shopping for nothing. There's a thing that puts her in the grocery store when the robbery happens, you know. <clears throat> so fill your life with, like, I guess, direction, you know. Find mm -hmm. the thing that you want to do and just start doing it. That's like, weird. You're like... not going to be good at it. <clears throat> we didn't know how to move to Montana. <laughs> Cost a lot more money than we thought we would. We fucking yeah. had no money when we got out of here. We got next to no money right now. Like, fuck it. <laughs> All the... We are technically in Montana. We did not spontaneously combust upon chasing the dream. On the, uh, like, having a direction to go to has actually kind of been a thing that's helped me. Um... <laughs> Stop making fun of me. I don't feel good. I'm being fidgety. Um, 
like when we did move out to Montana with not really anything saved up to pay for it and ended up being very, very broke very, very quickly. Yeah. And, Had um, exactly enough cash. Had two dollars more than we need. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a, a battle to play catch up ever since we got here and we're like finally in the point where it's like, oh, okay, we're not like in the red red yeah, anymore, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And um like even in the moments where it was like, Oh my god, are we gonna have enough money this month? Like when we were both like stressed and frustrated and it's like um like I mean I'm not gonna lie and say I wasn't stressed and frustrated. Yeah. There were plenty of times where I was like, ah, I don't know what to do but um like you and I would talk about it and you'd be like you know, if you were having like a moment where you were stressed or whatever, I'd be like, you know what? I'm just gonna breathe. It's gonna yeah. be fine. We've got bigger picture goals. Like this moment, we had a is lot where it pass. was like snap, snap, walk out of the room, and then five minutes later, I'm sorry, it was not you. It is the situation. <laughs> we also had a lot of moments too, where like I was the person who was stressed, and you were like able to kind of keep your cool, or vice versa. You were yeah. the one that was stressed, and I was kind of like able to just be like, you know what? This sound moment. like we're a marriage counselor. No, <laughs> no, but I mean, like, I, I feel like when you kind of, like, change your perspective on life and, yeah. like, release that, like, grip that you're trying to hold on it, like, like those moments are like, okay, like, this one is going to pass. Like, we are yeah. going to be fine. Just breathe and let it go. So, like, that was kind of nice about this situation because, like, I feel like before, you know, I probably would have been like, oh, God, what are we going to do? Well, you was... were. <laughs> I remember a lot of times where you were just crying in Tennessee going, what are we going to do? And it just kept coming up to, I don't know, we'll fucking figure it out. <laughs> Probably should have planned. Like, we're not going to get there and burst into flames. I'm not going to suddenly <laughs> lose my work ethic. I don't think. <laughs> we probably should have planned it out. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. It happened. Uh, but I mean, but did you die? Uh, Just a little bit on the inside. I could be in the middle of dying right now. That might be it. Yeah. Yeah. I overworked her. (laughs) My organs slowly just shut down. You're dying like a mule that's just been like pulling the pack through like the Dahmer Pass. I do kind of feel a bit that way. My my, like shoulders and muscles and stuff are very (laughs) achy. So yeah, I think that is the direction we're moving. (laughs) I'm going to have to be put down. Yeah, fuck it. Get a new toaster. Should have done it sooner. <laughs> Should have done it sooner. We could have got it on film. <laughs> but I cut you off. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're I, fine. I, I mean, that was... <laughs> that was mostly the point that I was making. Like, um, you know, that wasn't really how I was as a kid. And, like, having gone through life. And yeah. then, like, having stressful moments still here as an adult, which are honestly genuinely super stressful. Like you run out of money, you don't have a house or food yeah. or anything. Like they're actually really stressful things, but like not feeling like this need to like take control of the moment, like just accepting that it's going to pass and we're going to be fine. So it's been kind of nice like having that. How much of it is like my Eastern philosophy <laughs> horseshit that I feature like all day? Every day? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily <laughs> the videos and stuff, which those do help. There have definitely been... Times even when we were in college and I was just like, I'm never going to graduate. And you'd send me a video and I'm like, I feel a little better it's like now. Alan Watts makes everybody happy. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think it's so much just the videos and stuff you show me. Like you are a... Retard. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's exactly where I was going with that. No, for like being someone who 
you know, has had, like, issues with, like, your anger and stuff in the past. And for that being something that you bring up, you are weirdly outside of, you know, that, like, a very calm, centered person. And, like, I don't know, you're kind of, like, a little pillar of strength for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's always just, like, simmering. (laughs) Uh, One of my many therapists uh, compared, like, holding on to the moment was kind of, like turning me into a pressure cooker and I needed to hit the release valve and she was like you know if you just stop holding on to the moment then like you don't have to release the release valve as often like you can when big things happen you're kind of like up oh, fuck it <laughs> <laughs> well shit <laughs> that didn't go how I expected <laughs> um but kind of continuing the theme, um, dear audience, the other side of things is kind of like look inward. Like what choices were made in the past that seemed right at the time, but that now that you're an adult were ill-advised that led you here. And this is where I was going to go on my whole, without my Air Force arrest, I would not be in Montana, but we busted that nut early. (laughs) So (laughs) just like kind of like float back in your head and think about those types of things. But looking outward, what are the characters around you doing right now? You know, while you're driving in traffic or you're working in the warehouse or you're at home and you're, you know, masturbating or whatever you're doing. No, so I went to the doctor today and, um, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. I went to the doctor today and, uh, that's the first and only time that's ever happened to me. I came for a cough, like whatever. Uh, I went to the doctor today and came, which was like right after I mentioned if you're sitting at home masturbating right now. It's like, what happens at the gynecologist that they are not telling the men in our society? That's exactly what happened. No, um... She goes and gets finger popped by her grandpa. I don't understand it. No, so I I went up to the little check-in desk and she's like, what's going on today? I'm like, I've had this cough I can't get rid of. Like, I'm feeling kind of feverish today. Like, totally normal i'm just feeling sick things i go back into the like exam room and you know they usually have you sit down with the tech or the nurse or whatever first before the doctor comes in and this dude like um he like came out to get me and had like a mask on and like was all like like a coronavirus yeah like just not very um reassuring or welcoming in any way just very standoffish he's like we're gonna take your weight Quarantine, He's <laughs> like, you know, we're gonna take your weight, and then takes me back into the room, and he like yanks the mask yeah. off, like all like, oh, like, and then like does like my vitals and stuff like that, and then he sits down at his little computer, and he's like, uh, "Have you ever thought about killing yourself?" I was like, what? "Ever, ever, or <laughs> this week?" Because those are two separate things. <laughs> I was like, "What?" And he's like, "In the past year, have you thought about you know blah 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 or whatever?" And he's like, "Have you ever attempted to?" I was like. I'm here for a cold. I don't. It's like I've never been asked that at a clinic before. <laughs> I didn't inject myself with this cough as a means of slowly bringing about my demise. I did not go and build a virus in a lab and then shoot it into my arm. I've got a common yeah. cold. He was like so abrasive about it. And then after we were done with those questions, he asked me if I was allergic to anything. And that was it. Like those were the only questions. What is going on in that dude's <laughs> yeah. life? I had my last tattoo I got done on my ribs, right? 
I went in, I got the little Rise Against quote that I still love, but, like, I can't show it to anybody because they've since turned into, like, the five-finger death punch of punk rock music. And um, I was getting my tattoo done by a guy who was angrily arguing with his girlfriend on the cell phone. Oh, no. But via text message. Oh, so no. he would do, like, three letters of, like, a paragraph-sized piece of script on my, you know, rib cage. And uh, he'd do like three letters and then he'd slam the tattoo gun down. He'd angrily text and he'd slam the phone down and he'd pick up the gun and he'd stab me in the rib and he'd do another three letters. And it went like that for like four fucking hours. He was pissed. And he just kept going, this fucking bitch, I worked my ass off. (laughs) And just carving my shit on my side. And I just let it happen because I was like, I need to get this out of the way. But a rib tattoo, not comfortable tattoo. Not just like my arms and shit like that. Rib hurts because there's not a lot of meat there. And he is digging into my bones. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, man, I don't know. I guess you guys should break up. But like, <laughs> all right, this second. Like, <laughs> I remember at one point I was laying there and I thought that he was just on a long texting spree. And he'd walked away from me. He was outside smoking his cigarette. <laughs> And I've always wanted to know, like, what that dude's day did. What happened that night? Like, did he go home and beat the fuck out of his wife? Or did he just, like, kill me on a tattoo table? <laughs> aggressive makeup sex Yeah, at home. probably aggressive makeup sex. But, like, watch the characters around you, you know? What are they doing? What ill-advised decisions have they made? And how can we, like, relate to people... By contemplating how they arrived at this point in their story arc. You know, I've got some people that I see in my day-to-day that don't like me. And I don't know why they don't like me. Because I don't have a problem with them. I don't like you. I'm just kidding. I I figured as much. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, you deal with the public. You're going to deal with a lot of people that hate you just because of their circumstance. I met a homeless woman yesterday who lives in a van. We have two of her cats right now. Um, because her van caught on fire. Oh, no. And she's got soot all over her hands, and she's wearing, like, a fucking big-ass reflective jacket, and that's, like, her only item of clothing, and she's got a backpack on. And she comes in, and she's asking if she can see her cats. Cats are fine. You know, they got out of the van fast as fuck once it caught on fire. They're all right. Um... But this woman's brokenhearted and she's coming in because those two cats are the only things that she has in this entire fucking world. This is, as we started the episode, the bottom for her. So for about half an hour yesterday, I sat in our quarantine section where we're not supposed to have the public while this homeless woman who's mentally disturbed um, is petting you know her two cats and the cats are freaked out and she's freaked out and she's all over the place and she's crying and that can be the beginning of her story maybe that's what gets her out she doesn't have a van now she needs to come up with the hotel room money uh we're working with her to get her cats back we're not trying to take these things away from her just in case my you know local people are listening um This is where she finds a hotel instead of a van. This is where she commits herself to taking care of these guys, maybe puts them in a more permanent solution, but she doesn't have the van as a fallback anymore. She's homeless, which is horrific, in Montana in the winter, which is horrific. But honestly, it can only get better from here. So like, you deal with people in your life that yell at you and they frustrate you. 
um, no matter what you do, you know, if you're an accountant or if you're a writer, you know, <laughs> yelled at all the time. At Every day <laughs> for no reason. I don't, I, I'm the guy who cleans up shit. Okay. I failed a lot of math classes. You've got no reason to be mad at me. I'm not affecting your life. Um, Probably going to get yelled at about this movie. Yeah, definitely. I'll look forward to it. I got yelled at about the last one. Why the fuck not this one? <laughs> but, like, I, I was thinking when I came up with my notes for today's show, that, that that's an interesting takeaway um, for me as far as, like, life is concerned. Because life is story. These people that you run into who are screaming at mm-hmm. you for no reason. The guy I almost got into a fight with at the pawn shop who brought donuts. You remember that mm-hmm. guy? Um after hearing what led him to want to kick my fucking face in in the pawn shop when he came back, you know, later on that afternoon. And he was like, look, dude, it's been stressful. My girl took off. I've got a flat tire and then my engine blew up, whatever his fucking story was. He didn't just blow up on me out of the blue because he didn't like the way my face looked. He had a series of events that led to this decision. And as we look back on our lives and we feel like we've been mistreated you know at certain points or we're currently being mistreated those people are there with their own arcs and their own climaxes their own breaks you know their characters constantly developing as well and maybe you just met that person at the wrong time of the book it's like running into nicholas cage and the matchstick men when he goes to the convenience store to refill his prescription and cuts in line. And the guy's like, haven't you ever heard of a line? He's like, have you ever heard about being dragged out in the street and beaten until you piss blood? Like, that guy does not have a good perspective yeah. on Nicolas Cage's character. <laughs> that but that's not the full arc. So we need to start looking at people the way that we look at characters. I guess is the way that we... <laughs> oh, or see pe- people see are char- characters. Yeah, it, exactly. And it's all just one story. And Nobody has control over that Characters narrative. in your story are actual people. I mean, they may be imaginary people that you've invented. Well, they, they exist somewhere in some, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. If you look at them both as the same, your stories end up being more rounded stories. There you go. Can I do two things out of the workbook before no. we... Okay, yes. well, fine. We'll talk to you guys now. Um... We've read this one a couple of times on here before, and I will continue to read it because it's brilliant. But this is The Workbook, Memos and Dispatches on Writing by Stephen Hyten. Um, the first quote's going to come out of page 36. Doot, 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 doot. That's my segue music. Uh, number 14. It comes from a section entitled On Reading 15 Memos to Myself. This is like a, 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 it's a very short book. And it's filled with like very like bullet points of information. It's broken up into different chapters, like for beginning writers, for writers a decade and etc. It ends in a beautiful like a little short memoir thing about wearing his mentor's shirt that he mm. finds in his closet one day, and he's like, I don't know how he ever fit in this shirt. Aww. He was much taller than I am. <laughs> But he's like taking on the legacy of his dead friend. But um, it's number 14 and it says, The great gaffe of middle-brow readers is to confound literature and virtue, to seek and require conventional worthiness in the literary tale or poem, in its characters, its sentiments, its creator. But good writing doesn't necessarily come from good people. 
concern itself with good characters or extol good behavior. It comes from the concerns, it comes from and concerns people who are intensely alive. I like that. So again, watch the people around you. <coughs> watch them. And then but from, not like from their front yard creeping through no, their window. Unless you want to be that character. But that's a short-lived fate and you're probably going to get raped in jail. <laughs> um, and then from page 46 of the same book, uh, from the section titled New Frames of Feeling, the Eclectic Dispatches. And this is a very short one, two sentences. It's said that your unlived life will kill you. True but not before it has killed or maimed others around you first. Chase the dream. Yeah. You could wind up as that sad sack sitting around going, I could have done that, and now he's the writer. Or, Jeopardy I contestant. I was a writer until my wife made me quit. I was a writer until my wife made me quit. And that's going to haunt you no, forever because you didn't do it. You're scared as shit to do it. 20 years from now, you're going to be pissed at everybody around you because they're the one who held you back. So get after it, team. This has been Brett's solo-ish episode. <laughs> I contributed. You did. You contributed a lot more than I anticipated, and it was fucking brilliant. I cannot wait to release this short film. Uh, what? I think actually... Maybe this Friday. Yeah. Or this Sunday. Uh, I can't remember. Whatever day of the week. It's Sunday, I believe. Like yeah. As of the airing of this episode, not the recording. I think it's this coming Sunday. We're coming fucking fast at it. I still have this weekend to work on it, so <laughs> well, you're, you're, don't at me. You're damn close. <laughs> All right, love. I love you. I love you. I love you guys. And we will talk to you on Friday.